Everybody say it's a new thing. thing. Now shall it spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. How many knows a river in a desert just can't be found? That means God will make a way where there seems to be no way in your life, in your circumstances, and something new is about to spring forth or emerge in your life. This is that year of alignment where things just come into alignment and begin to work in your life. And God's about to do something very special. Very special. Father, we love you and we thank you for all that has gone forth today in your name, the fellowship that we've had together, Lord God, the community. Lord, also the praise and the worship. We know that that's, that's our time to give to you and to tell you how much you care, we care about you and how much we love you so very much. And we give you the thanks for that today. And thank you for being present, Lord God, during the time of the water baptism and touching these people, Lord God, and even the one who just kind of decided, I'm going to do it. Thank you for touching them today, God. Now I ask you to touch every single man, every woman, every boy, every girl that's in the classes today, Lord God, and that you would help us and give us revelation, knowledge, and flow freely in this house and give us our new day, we pray in Jesus' name. The church said, amen and amen. So we're coming up on Passover, and which means it marks, that's one of God's markings on this calendar that starts a new season or a new day. Like we would celebrate January 1st in our Gregorian calendar. Well, God has his calendar, which the Jews still keep to this day, uh, the Hebraic calendar system, that God says, this is what I've designed, and we've taken it, and, we've, and I'll talk a little bit about that, um, if not today, maybe sometime uh, before Passover. But the fact is, is that it's a new season, and God has two new times that he actually gives us like a, a divine redo. Aren't you glad? The God's, God's the God of the second chance, praise God. It gives you like this fresh start. It's during this season, Passover, and then 50 days from now is Pentecost, but then in the fall of the year comes the Day of Atonement or the Feast of Tabernacles, and that would be, or a Feast of Trumpets, and that would be uh, the, another new calendar cycle with God. So he does two, one uh, every six months. And, but there's something divinely important that I find so fascinating and so interesting. Over all these years of studying this and ministering this, even this year to me is even a little bit more, I guess, close to my heart. Because I can see how God does operate within cycles, within times, and within seasons. And the Bible talks to us that we're supposed to actually know the times and seasons that he moves on planet Earth. And so I want to start with Exodus 12. And Exodus 12, uh, let me read this. It kind of sets us up. But Exodus 12, what it does is it's talking about something that was completely unknown to Israel, the children of Israel. They were in Egypt, okay? They were slaves in Egypt. And God was starting something brand spanking new, but before that could happen, the new, the new part, something old had to be dealt with. And look what it says here in Exodus chapter 12. It says, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month, by the way, that's this month right here as well. It's the same, that 12-month cycle it turns out to be right now. This month shall be your beginning of months. So something new, something that starts fresh. It should be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth month of this, uh, tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And 
If the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. It's got to be perfect. A male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Uh, now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs that they shall eat. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire. It's given details now. It's, it's with, it, with its head, uh, sorry, with its head, its legs, and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus, watch this, you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. In other words, get ready to move. Something's going to happen quick. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So, so this day shall be to you a memory, a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Now I could really, guys... I'm going to break it apart some other time, but that is so full of revelation because that lamb, of course, is speaking of the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which is Jesus. Did he not shed his own blood? Was he not the first male born among his, uh, his mother and his father? Amen. He was his own, of course, his father was, was God. Um, he became a sacrifice so that we could be alleviated from destruction and from doom, right? So when the blood is applied upon our life, destruction has to pass over. So, so, so good and so true. But some would say, well, you know, preacher, that, that, that sounds good, but that was before Jesus, and that's all Old Testament, so it really doesn't apply to us today. I want you to remember this and never forget it. God said, now guys, we got to get rid of our Western way of thinking, our American way of thinking, because this wasn't written just to Americans. This is written to every person on planet Earth. And I, I don't know about you, but I didn't wake up this morning with the, the American flag in the front of my Bible. Come on, somebody. And I love America. I'm patriotic, but... It's beyond us. It's for everybody. And he started, he gave, he, he gave the Jews, Israel, as a clue or a type and a shadow of what was to come. And so what was done in a mystery to the rest of the world then is now by revelation to us now. So we have to kind of decode what God's actually saying here. And so some people say, well, you don't have to do that anymore because that's under the Old Testament. And now we have Jesus, so that doesn't apply to us today. But I want to just share with you who kept the Passover in the New Testament. First and foremost, guess who, take, who actually takes time every year of his life to keep the Passover? Jesus. Very good. Every year of his life, he honored and kept the Passover. As a matter of fact, remember, John, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He calls him the Lamb of God. He knows what he's supposed to do. Then for three and a half years, he goes and does it. But watch this. His death falls directly at the time of Passover. He is the Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb. So say amen to that. And so he tells his disciple, look, uh, tonight, they don't know what he's doing. 
He goes, no, no, he, didn't go, he didn't go to the, hey, look, everybody, let's have a meal together because it's going to be called the Last Supper. He didn't tell anybody that, right? And let's make sure we get a painter and have him paint a nice little painting of us eating our supper. Come on! That's not what happened, right? But he did say, go and rent a room. And they found a room for the upper room that we may have a meal together. What meal was it? It was the Seder dinner, which was a traditional Jewish dinner that they had at Passover. We know that because of the time of year. We know that because of everything that's been said in the word of God. We also know that because he said, this is my body. He picks the bread, unleavened bread. It's the feast of unleavened bread. He picks it up and breaks it. He said, which is broken for you, take, eat, for this is for you. Then he gives the cup, which is his blood. So that's where we get the communion elements to this day. So Jesus kept the Passover. Pretty good. His disciples not only kept the Passover with Jesus, but kept the Passover the rest of their lives. Paul the Apostle, who was not a direct disciple of Jesus, one of the twelve, but he was one that actually he was one that actually persecuted the church until he had an epiphany, come on, and the light knocked him down and he, Jesus talked to him. And he got born again, and now he becomes a, a great advocate for the Father, the greatest apostle probably ever lived, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he kept the Passover his whole entire life after Jesus. Um, and Christians, by the way, kept the Passover for over 300 years after Jesus died and was buried and was rose again and ascended to the Father. So now we have that done. Now, I want to just kind of walk you through this. This is fascinating. So God wants to take his people out of Egypt. What does Egypt symbolize for us today, according to the word of God? The world or the world's system, which all of us, before we knew Jesus, were a part of the world system. We were in the kingdom of darkness. Because of Jesus, we are now in the kingdom of light. And Pharaoh is a type of Satan. So Satan uh, is called the little G God. He's called little, I call him little G, because he's the little G God of this world. And so he tries to control and manipulate the world. That's what he does through media, the arts, entertainment, uh, education, you name it, goes everywhere, right? And that's what he does. He's always trying to, he's trying to rule and reign in the world. Well, God says, now that you found my son, I'm going to take you up out of the world. Come on. You're going to go through first baptism, water baptism, which is the Red Sea. Come on, somebody. Now, is this getting too heavy for y'all? Can I just do this today? Let me walk through it. Go through the baptism. You, get, you get born again. You get baptized in water, Red Sea. Then you go a little bit further, and then you go through the Jordan, which is another baptism called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, that's a subject for another time, but that's where the power shows up. And then you go into the promised land. All the promises become yes and amen to his children. So God is leading us out of the world through baptism into the promises of God. That's pretty good. But he said before that, can happen you got to go to you've got to go to pharaoh moses knock on his door tell him i am has sent you god called himself i am and tell him i'm telling him let my people go to worship me every time the fear of god would hit pharaoh he'd say yes but guess what happened he started thinking about his economy he started thinking about his workers because they were all his workers he started thinking about all the things that he would not have if they left and therefore every time he would pull back on his promise as a result god said i will now have to judge you and gave 10 plagues, 10 times. Pharaoh, Pharaoh had his door knocked on by Moses, and 10 times Pharaoh said, I can't do it, Moses, I cannot do it. So we have the plagues, we have the blood, the blood that showed up in the water. 
killed all the fish. We have the frogs. I don't know about you, but I don't want no frog. I don't want one frog. I don't even want one frog. But there were lots more than one frog. There were lice. How many ever had lice? Or seasonal had lice? Lice. There was flies. There was pestilence. There was boils. There was locusts. There was darkness. And then the last one was the worst of all, the death of every firstborn male, whether human being or beast, they had to die. Now you'd think Pharaoh would have changed his mind. You'd think Pharaoh, I would have learned my lesson. Let's see. Number one, when all the blood killed all them fish. Maybe I can't deal with this right now. Let him go. That's, that's how I would think. But the Bible says his heart was hardened. As a result, God calls these plagues to come. But watch this. Not any harm came to the children of Israel. So although the world, the world was experiencing all this problem around them, it, no frogs came in their camp. No lice came in their camp. No blood took over their fish. Come on, somebody. No pestilence took up. No boils were on their flesh. It only happened to those that were in the world system. Come on. We're in the world. Come on, help me. But we're not of the world. Amen. Satan, Pharaoh, is always trying to keep you from fulfilling your destiny. He wants to keep you back and he wants to keep you down. He wants to keep you to be a slave to your circumstances. Keep you right where he can use you the most and control the rest of your life. That's what the devil's doing right now in our life. Trying to control us, push us back, keep us a slave to the system and our circumstances. I've got good gospel news for every person in this place. Jesus come to set us free. Come on. He came to set us free. And God has put fail-safe systems in place twice a year where it says, this is where I come. I meet with my people and everybody's bound gets to go free. So, so, so what, what were they to do about this destruction and death, this angel of death that was going to go across all of Egypt and kill the firstborn males? What were they to do? The Bible says he required one thing, bring me an offering. Bring me an offering. Deuteronomy 16, 16 says three times a year, all the males shall appear before the Lord your God. What is that? That is what? That is the, 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 the Passover, that is Pentecost, and that's atonement three times a year. He said, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord, how? Empty-handed. Now, it doesn't matter the amount. It matters what God speaks to you to give. But it's always tied to your heart. It's always, always tied to your heart, and God knows this. In the Old Testament, when God said something, he commanded it. Today that we're now under grace, he asks of us and sees who's willing to obey or not obey. I, I don't know about you, but I want to be counted in the group that says, yes, Lord, I don't like it. I'm not comfortable with it. I hate that you did this, that said this to me, but you know what, Lord? You're God and you still get what you want. Last time I checked, you're still God. So whatever you want, I'm going to be willing. I want to be one of those that are willing. Not to say my flesh is always willing, not to say that my heart's always in tune to it, but I want to say yes, no matter what. And so the Old Testament, he commanded. New Testament, he asks to see who is willing. Both needs obedience. And we see this as a type and shadow in the Old Testament where Moses, the leader of the one who takes them out into the wilderness, and guess what? When they get in the wilderness, ain't nothing to drink out there. They had a little bit of food, but they had nothing to drink. Why? It's the wilderness. They had nothing to drink. So he goes to God. He says, Lord, what am I going to do? I, I don't have nothing. I, I mean, I don't know. I, you Tell me, what, how am I going to get these people something to drink? He said, you see that rock over yonder? Yes, I do, big rock. He said, take your staff that's in your hand 
and I want you to take it and smite it. In other words, smack that rock. And when you smack that rock, come on. He said, out of that rock will come waters that will flow out of it to your life. So, all right, we got that. And he smacks the rock and the water flows out into a river and, and two million people were able to drink from that water. That's a bona fide miracle of God. But then they ran out of water again. And he goes to God. And children of Israel, is on the, I mean, poor Moses. Children of Israel were on his last nerve. Come on, somebody. Murmuring, complaining, upset with life. And Moses, you brought us out here to die like dogs. We could have been better off in Egypt having three squares, hot, a hot and a cot. Or what do they say? Come on. We could, we could have had three hots and a cot. That's what they say. And he said, we could have had that. He said, but instead you brought us out here to die. And Moses said, Lord, what do you want me to do with these people? He said, go over there and speak to the rock. Well, I know about that rock. Go speak to the rock and the rock will give you the water. He goes to the rock, over to the rock. He's angry. So instead of speaking to the rock, he does what? He takes the staff and he smites the rock. He's angry. Hits it and God said, you didn't do what I asked you to do. Out of your anger, because of that, you cannot inherit the promised land. And yet water still flowed and still everything happened. What does that say to me? In the Old Testament, the rock was God. And God said, I command you, you better do it or you're going to get flies and boils. Come on. But in the New Testament, he says, I'm going to let you do what you want to do. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. I want you to do it. This is what I want you to do. He speaks to us. He don't smack us around. He don't smite us. Come on, somebody. He speaks to see who's willing or not. And that rock happens to be Jesus. Come on. And you ain't going to smack Jesus around. Come on, someone say amen to that. All right. Now, the Old Testament is so clear to this, but it's also there in the New. But look what it says in Psalms 105. What happened? As a result of the children of Israel being obedient to what God said, give me an offering. Give me what you have. Bible says here, verse, uh, chapter 105, verse 37, book of Psalms. He also, God, brought them out with silver and gold. We're talking about slaves, y'all. This was slaves. They were walking out wealthy. But also it says, and there was none feeble among his tribe, which means they didn't walk out with no sickness, no disease, and they got to live a long life. So they walked out wealthy and healthy. Somebody say amen. That's what happens when we obey God. And the word Passover in the Hebrew is the word Pesach, and it means protection. We need God's protection every day of our lives. It was during this time that God brought Israel what he called the feasts. Now, most people think feast means we're going to chow down tonight. Hallelujah. We're going to feast, right? But that's not what feast means here. Feast actually translates appointed times. What it means is this. It's God saying, I'm setting a special time aside to meet with my people, and I'm asking them to set that time aside to meet with me that I might give them special instructions. So this is not about me. This is not about you. These are not my times. They're not your times. These are God's times. And we're about to approach one of his times that he puts on the calendar. He said, I marked it as an appointment to meet with my people. And it belongs to God. And by the way, Passover begins March chapter, uh, March, chapter March 30th, all the way to April 7th. Eight days. And it's a time you set aside to reflect what the Lord has already done in your life. You're being so thankful for what he's done, what he's accomplished. By the way, the more thankful you are, the more grateful you become. If you're an ungrateful person, learn to be thankful. Because you can't be thankful and ungrateful at the same time. 
And God needs that thanksgiving. Um, in other words, um, you, you reflect on what he's done from your heart. But it's also a time that we're supposed to tell his story. What is the greatest story ever told? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. That's the greatest, most powerful. It's called the gospel, which means it's the good news that Jesus paid the price for my penalty, paid the price for your sin. I get to have eternal life not based on my merits, not because of my good works, because I'm not good enough, but based on his good works and his work on Calvary. Come on, son. Somebody. Is this all right this morning? So we're supposed to tell the world about how good he is. So while we're reflecting and observing God and giving the offering to God, at the same time, we're making a point to tell people about Jesus. So we have Holy Week. We designed it for you to tell your friends and neighbors and co-workers and family members and get them here, especially if they don't know Jesus or away from God. And we start off by, we start by doing the Living Lord's Supper. Two weeks from today, we're going to do the Living Lord's Supper. You know how powerful that thing is. And then right after that, we do Good Friday service where we have Holy Communion together. It's an hour service. It's so powerful. But then right after that, we do I Am Jesus on Easter Sunday. We're giving you ample opportunity to come and bring your friends and family and get them here and then get them planted in so we can disciple them and life can begin to change. Again, it's not about me. It's not about you. This is about his time. This is his moment. You know, we ask him all the time to help us out. But he asked us, meet with me. Give me this. This is what I want. If you do this, I'm going to bless the rest of your year. It's an eight-day observance that we make time for God in our lives. And he requires this. It's also a time, church, where we get malice out of our hearts. Any unforgiveness you got. Look, I know they did you wrong. I know it hurts you. I know it sets you back in life. And we could all get up here at this altar and cry our river tears together about how bad it was for us. But let me tell you something. Does that change anything? It doesn't and will not. I will not forgive them. You do not know what they did to me. I will not forgive them. As if by not forgiving them, you're actually rewarding yourself in some way by saying, I'll never give them the satisfaction. It's not about, forget it. It's not them. You forgive them by saying, I'm not forgetting. Look, I'm, I'm looking out for me. And I realize that this unforgiveness is eating me up. While they're going on with their life, you're thinking about it all the time. Jesus said, forgive them that you may be forgiven. Get that bitterness out of your soul. Get rid of it. Ask God and he'll help you. I promise you. You say, Lord, I don't even know how to get rid of this. That's, that's a start. You're starting right there. You're being honest. And he'll begin to help you and show you. But yes, it will take an act of your will and an act of faith. Of faith. Listen, don't retaliate. Alleviate. This is not the season to retaliate. It's the season to alleviate the pressures that are in your life. It's also time to remove all selfishness the Bible talks about. We might have to put that remote control down and not watch Netflix and binge it for two, three, four, five hours a day, two days. Amen. <laughs> we may not go to the movie because we're at those eight days because movies, we like to go to movies, but you know what? The Lord wants me to spend time with him. We might have to put that video game down. Some of you might have to cancel a vacation. I don't care what it is. Whatever he asks you to do, I would just do it. I'd just become obedient to him. And see, we, we come before him with what he wants, not what I want. And what we're doing is we're saying, God, I want to acknowledge you. 
I want, that's what worship is. It's an acknowledgement. I can't do life without you. I don't want to do life without you. I don't want, guys, I don't want to get miracles, so-called miracles on my, for, for what I can do. Are you kidding me? I want to be able to have a miracle that only God can do so he can get all the praise and all the glory. we got to give him that acknowledgement. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, they'll put it on the screen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Come on, acknowledge him. And what happens? He shall direct your path. Come on, church. I need direction. I need a clear outlook. I need to have um, an understanding where my destiny is going. I've got to learn to acknowledge God every day of my life. But in particular, I'm going to recalibrate things right now. I'm going to get some things right right now during this season, because it requires it anyways, to have a brand new start. Lord, I give you the praise. Here's my offering. Here's my time and my talent. I offer it unto you. The Passover is a trigger in the realm of the Spirit. For what you need, miracles. Now, I will tell you, um, one of the New Testament miracles that happens, there's many, but one of them that comes to mind is Herod. Herod, King Herod, began to persecute Christians, but the Christians began to pray. It did not deter them. It did not cause them to say, we're not going to push in anymore. We're not going to pray together anymore. We just can't. We're getting jailed. Some people are getting killed. This is getting too dangerous. But the Bible says they continue to push in and push in. And what happened to Herod? The Bible says Herod got ate up by words. He felt, The Bible says the angel of the Lord at Passover struck him dead until he fell over. And the worms, I guess, were eating him. I don't know how that all happened, but it happened. And, and the Bible says at that point that the church that was persecuted began to multiply and grow. It was busting at the seams, moved past Jerusalem into Asia and into Africa. It was exploding on the scene. Persecution isn't always a bad thing. Unless you want to get persecuted, that's not always fun. But I'm here to tell you, there's a bigger picture going on here. So if you've been getting persecuted during this season, I would, if I had a show of hands, probably 80% of the hands would go up. I feel like I've been persecuted lately. That's good, but it tells me you're in the right season. The enemy will put fear on you to stop you, to control you, to be the pharaoh to you, to say, you ain't leaving my clutches. But you know different. I know different. That's why we make our appointment with God, so we can get our breakthrough. Come on. Ruth. Everybody knows the story of Ruth. What a powerful story. You can go weeks on Ruth. And it's a small little book, but you can go forever on it. But Ruth was somebody who was in dire need, dire need. She lost her husband. In those days, a woman could not work outside the home. She wasn't going to get a job, so she had nobody to take care of her. Her mother-in-law, the only one that probably could, she lost her husband too, which was her husband's, her, uh, Ruth's husband's father. I mean, it was devastating. It was terrible. Nobody to turn to. So one day she decides, I'm starving, I'm hungry, and she starts to go out into the fields, and she picks up the little scraps that are left that the farmers didn't catch. It's called gleaning the fields. And she'd go in every day and glean the fields. One day, the owner of the field stopped by and said, who is that good-looking woman over there? And I don't know how good, she must be really good-looking because most women aren't good-looking in the middle of the heat of the day, come on, with sweat and dirt on them. And he saw her, she's beautiful. And um, he said, what is she doing? Well, she just comes every day. She just picks up our scraps. We let her do it. He said, tell you what. He said, uh, I want to show her a favor. Why don't you guys just start spilling a little extra? 
just leave a little extra on the ground, you know, act like no big deal, and that she has more. And every day now she's picking up twice as much, three times, four times as much every single day. She's getting blessed. Somebody was watching her. Somebody she didn't know was watching her. When was the time? The time of Passover. And then finally Boaz goes and says, how about we get on a date? Praise God. But go wash up first. Hallelujah. And we're going to go on a date. And they went on a date, they fell madly in love, and he married her. The very the person, she was gleaning the field of the very person that owned the field, and she did not know would one day be her husband. You're just one person away from a breakthrough in your life. You're one person away from a miracle to promote you. Come on, church. Passover. David finds favor at Ornan's threshing floor and all of Israel is being destroyed by their enemies. And David says, what's going on? He says, I must bring an offering to God. Goes to Ornan and says, what do you have? Give me your wood and your implements. I'll burn it for fire and I'll buy your cattle. I'll buy everything up. Just give it to me. He said, no, sir, you are the king. I will not charge you one dime. He said, you got to charge me. I cannot offer to God what does not belong to me. It's got to cost me something. That's how important this is. Everything. When we know it's real, when it costs us something. Jericho walls, by the way, a miracle happened. Angels showed up and destroyed David's enemies. Jericho's walls fell flat during Passover. Hezekiah begged for his life during Passover and his life was extended. It's where God's promises come to pass. It's where you possess houses you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant, wells you didn't dig. So what are the promises of God during this season? There are seven of them. They're all found in Exodus chapter 23. Number one, you get angelic visitation or angelic assistance. We find that, I don't have time to read those scriptures. You can read it for yourself. All Exodus 23, all this is found there. Number two, you get angels, number one. Number two, you get, God fights your enemies for you. He becomes an enemy to your enemy, an adversary to your adversaries. Number three, God will take care of your current needs. He said, I'll bless your bread and your water. Number four, God will take sickness and affliction. What has been going on in your body you can't shake? What's going on here? This is not right. That's a spirit. It's out of control in your life. God wants to deal with it. He said, I will take sickness away from the midst of you at Passover. Five, new beginnings and long life. He said, watch, I will fulfill the number of your days and there'll be no barren among you. It means I'll live a long life and guess what? You're going to get pregnant, praise God. All the men in here said amen, hallelujah. We're all, even the men, we're getting pregnant. Not with babies, but with promise, with destiny to bring forth a new beginning in our lives. Um, number six, abundance and prosperity comes into our life. He said, I will increase you and you will inherit the land that flows with milk and with honey. And number seven, your family is blessed as a result of you getting blessed. You know, I, I just want to say this, that this is probably going to be the greatest Passover we've ever had at our church or as a church. And the reason why is because we had just, when they, when they blew the horn in Israel in October, of 2017, just a few months back, when they blew that horn, it signified the beginning of Jubilee. What's Jubilee? 50. 50th year. Every 50 years, God said, will be your Jubilee. It's a year that you won't work as hard as you used to work because you won't have a blessing on you. It's a year that all debts will be canceled. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. We got to get that mountain off our backs. Come on. And it's the year when anybody who is bound gets set free. So when they go to Jesus at Passover and they say, you know, they say all these terrible things about him. He said, we have a custom that we will release one, come on, to be the scapegoat. One will pay the price. What did they do? They released a prisoner by the name of Barabbas. In other words, Barabbas deserved the death. 
Jesus did not. Jesus took his place, took our place, and one was set free. That's you and I getting set free at Passover. Come on, church, say amen. Say amen to that. Come on, say amen.